Hello, this is Jim Wallace, and you're listening to a special edition of The Soul of a Nation, a podcast about how our faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. Today, I'm speaking with Hana Kim on how the U.S. can learn from South Korea, theologically, civically, and in terms of public health during this pandemic. Reverend Dr. Hana Kim currently serves as the lead pastor, one of the largest Presbyterian churches in the world, in Seoul, Korea. He is a young leader, and in my view, one of the most promising young leaders uh, in the global church, particularly rising out of the global south. So, welcome, Hannah. Thank you for joining us today. I've enjoyed our friendship deeply, and to talk to you at a time like this seems very appropriate. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, Jim, thank you so much for this uh, invitation. And I'm so humbled uh, to join you in this conversation. You know, you, you are the one that I really looked up as I was writing my dissertation. You know, I wrote my dissertation on sojourners and on you. Uh, so it's been uh, just unbelievable uh, journey of my life to to be able to meet with you and join the Sojourners Board, and now speaking with you on this um, uh, on this issue is just wonderful and humbling experience. Thank you. Well, the the story behind that that <laughs> some of our listeners might like to know is I was at an international gathering, and this young kid seemed like a young kid came up to me wearing this <laughs> army jacket and said. Um, uh, he asked if I was Jim Wallace. I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm doing my PhD thesis on you at Drew University and Sojourners. Could we talk? I said, <laughs> sure, we could talk. And so we've been talking ever since. And now uh, Hannah is on the board of Sojourners. And he's actually one of the leaders of a, we're putting a gathering together, postponed by COVID, actually, a gathering of young leaders from around the world. Uh, particularly global south, but all around the world, young leaders who are making difference already. And Hannah Kim, to me, is one of the most most uh, promising of those young leaders. So it's always a blessing when we talk across the across the world. It's it's morning for me and it's night for you. And here we are talking yet again. So it's a blessing for me uh, this friendship that we have developed. So let me ask you, Hannah. How is your spirit? How is your spirit in a time like this? Oh, how's my spirit? Uh, that's such a profound question. <laughs> and, and whenever we have this opportunity to talk and, and, and you throw out that question in front, and, and I'm so, every time I hear the question, I'm so humbled by that question because, you know, I have this arrogant eyes of judging other people and looking into other people's spirits, but uh, you know, I don't really look into my spirit oftentimes. So your question really helps me to look into my spirit. And to be honest with you, my spirit is doing uh, well, but at the same time, I'm very much saddened by this pandemic and uh, what we are going through. Um, uh, but at the same time, I'm very hopeful for the changes that that 
it might bring to us. And and uh, if we go deeper with this issue, I believe that churches in the world and Christians in the world, and, and we, we all ourselves can find better ways to uh, to serve the world and become better ourselves. So my spirit is in a mixed condition, mixed feelings right now, uh, saddened, but uh, hopeful. Uh, and and so far, I'm doing my best to to, uh, to adapt to this situation and, and um, uh, this horrible, horrible pandemic that we are all experiencing. I think you just um, really... Um focused us in the way we, we need to on the sadness and the grief. A good friend, mutual friend of ours, Hannah called me last night and one of his colleagues had died again. Um, oh, so yeah. we all feel that sadness. And yet there is an opportunity here, as you point to, we're not going to be the same after this. We're going to be different. This is a historical thing that will change us one way or another. And so how we're changing, how we're how we could be different afterwards is exactly what I'd like to ask you to comment on. Now, South Korea here in this country has become uh, in the news a lot. Uh, and for, for many of us, it's become almost a blueprint for how we should handle the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, what are the steps, do you think, that help South Korea to contain the spread of this virus at the outset? What are the things that you saw that really seem to make a difference in South Korea? Okay, uh, I have to go step by step uh, because the pandemic came as a surprise. I mean, we uh, we knew that it was happening in China and, and, you know, by geography, we're very close to China. So we were very concerned with this spread of virus, but we wouldn't we didn't really think about that it will reach Korea that fast and, and spread here in Korea that fast. So we took it as a surprise when it first began here in Korea. In fe- The serious cases started in February. And I was in the U.S. in January uh, attending another board meeting in California and Arizona. And when I was in the U.S., it felt like it was very much not going to happen in the U.S. either. But it, it will, I mean, eventually reach the U.S. Now it's worst case in the world, one of the worst cases in the world. Um, but when it started here in Korea, uh, we didn't really think that it would spread that much. Uh, so when it first began, it was only a number of people. Uh, but then we had this case uh, in Daegu, which is southeast region of Korea. Uh, in Daegu, there was a cultic, uh, I don't know if I can say this uh, word cultic, but there was a, this religious group, a cultic religious group called Shincheonji. And Shincheonji has a membership of about 200,000 people here in Korea. And they have very interesting uh, way of uh, having worship service, which is, you know, they, they, they sit very closely together and they have a very uh, uh, intimate worship service uh, physically. So when they did this service together in Tegu area, the, the virus spread, you know, in a, in a very outrageous, uh, uh, rapid 
speed. Uh, and then it became a national issue. And we began to really start this uh, larger scale of uh, testing. So if I can tell you some numbers, so far in past two and a half months, we've tested more than 600,000 people. And sometimes we tested like 20,000 people a day. And from out of 619,881 people, we have a positive, confirmed positive case of 10,000, little more than 10,000. And what I can tell you is that this, this rigorous scale of testing was very helpful to prevent uh, the virus spread in the neighborhood. So I, I believe the best thing that Korea did was to, to employ this large scale of testing on every possible individual. For example, our church was one of the first churches that had positive uh, confirmed case. One of our associate pastors who went to a near Daegu area for funeral attending, uh, he, when he came back, we realized that he went to a site where Shincheonji leader's brother died. So everybody went there to, 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 uh, to attend the funeral uh, from Shincheonji religious group. And our pastor happened to be in that site without knowing it. And when he came back uh, driving four hours from there, uh, we instantly asked him to test uh, for uh, COVID. And when he did, he came up positive. And it was you know, something that we did not really anticipate. And we hoped that it didn't happen. But our pastor came out as positive. So what happened was that the government and our uh, regional uh, office of uh, CDC asked us to be quarantined, first of all. And they tested every staff member of our church. Our church has over 200 full-time staff members, including pastors and lay people. And every one of us, went for test on very next day. It was very, it happened very quickly and they tested very quickly and came out that no one was infected from that virus. So this kind of, you know, uh, very speedy and, and, uh, and proactive uh, testing really helped us to prevent the spread of this pandemic in here in Korea. The Korean medical system, it seems like it's almost, you know, reorganized and covering all the medical costs associated with dealing with COVID-19 for its citizens and foreigners in the country. So the medical system quickly reorganized around this, right? Yeah. Um, we, I mean, uh, the heroes of this uh, pandemic are the medical personnel, including the doctors, nurses, and, and lab workers. And uh, I could not believe the speed of the result they brought upon us. And another thing was that if you wanted to be tested, that almost everybody had an opportunity to be tested. It was not something that you have to pay for it a lot. Uh, it was very quick. It was very uh, speedy. And uh, we also were greatly helped by the government by not paying anything for this. 
And even if you're when you're quarantined, I I've been myself quarantined for 14 days because of you know associate pastor who was tested for positive. And while I was staying in my home for 14 days, uh, the government you know gave us some food and they gave us some uh, fast face masks, and I could get easily anything that I needed from the government. So it was very helpful how how they uh, you know. Uh, how they treated the, those who are in quarantine condition. So did, did, has South Korea had the highest per capita testing then in the world, as far as you know, per capita? Uh, I, I'm not really sure what the number. Um, I know that 619,881 people tested. So that's uh, actually a lot of numbers. And how we did the test was not, you know, by the by the symptoms but if, if you are just near the person who was te- who was positive then you could get the test so it was not based upon symptoms but it was based on your proximity to the to the uh to the positive you know to the virus positive person so many people in the u.s are slow to consider uh the individual behaviors and routines that must change in order for all of us to stay safe. How, how has your daily life and life of the church, your community, how has that been impacted to ensure uh, the spread of COVID was controlled? Um, how did your life change for yourself, family, and, and the church? And uh, how did, what did you learn from that? Okay, uh, when, so when the virus began to spread here in Korea in February, everything changed dramatically. Our, uh, you know, a lot of restaurants, a lot of uh, cafes and public places closed down. And there were only few places that we could go. Uh, but he, at least here in Korea, in, in Seoul, uh, because in Seoul, I think we have so far of a uh, little more than 600 people, uh, you know, confirmed case of 600 people. So Seoul was relatively a safer place uh, than Daegu and other places. So we were able to go out and, and, and do some certain things that we used to do, but we were all required to wear fa- face masks and, you know, keep the social distancing and everything. Uh, but unlike Europe and U.S., we were able to do certain uh, things that we used to do, like you know, buying coffee and 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 eating at some places, uh, meeting with people. We continue to do that, and now because today, as of today, we only have four cases of uh, confirmed virus cases. So that's less than five people. And so we feel, I think, more safer and safer as we, uh, you know, go through this, uh, this process. And now people are returning to their uh, ordinary lives in a, in a more you know, comfortable ways, I think. But still, we are still very concerned in how, you know, you, one thing about this virus pandemic is that you can never predict anything from this you know you you don't know how it's how it will turn out in a week from now or two weeks from now 
So government is still warning us, and we aren't trying to keep, uh, you know, you know, keep up with the government's guidance. As a church, uh, when our associate pastor was p- tested for positive, we instantly closed down every building in our church, and we were shut down for two weeks. And after that, uh, we began to uh, have services back but in a very small number. Uh, Until last week, actually until two weeks ago, uh, we had service uh, still on online and we encouraged people not to come to church and and still, you know, know, participate the service online through YouTube and other TV channels. Uh, But we had about 20% of congregation who came back to church for uh, worship service, on-site worship service. So it's been a, it's been a very difficult and and unpredicting uh, uh, days for us. But uh, we're now seeing some end of the tunnel, and and we're recovering step by step. So you went virtual, like most churches are here online. Uh, Tell, tell our lit, lit listeners just how many people are in your church and what it meant for you to go virtual and online in that uh, in your community. So our church has a membership of about 100,000. And attendance-wise, we have a little less than 40,000 people coming to our service on every Sunday. So we have services that starts at 7 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, and it will continue for five services, and the last service ends at uh, nine some time p.m. at night. And because we have so many people uh, coming to our on-site service, usually before the pandemic, uh, we were very deeply concerned with uh, you know people's uh, fear of uh, not necessarily fear, but their worry, uh, their concern for not being able to come to the church physically. But uh, we actually did a lot of promotion on on-site service. I mean, uh, the off-site service, which is virtual service. Uh, and, and we promoted theologically. We had convinced, convinced them that, uh, you know, not coming to church physically is not really actually, you know, you're breaking up with God. It's not about, you know, that. It's about uh, our situation. And, you know, the reason that we're not coming to church is not because we are abandoning service, but because we love our neighbors, that we don't want to become threat to our community, that we had to really promote this kind of theology to our congregation. And I, I was very grateful that almost everybody in our congregation understood the situation and they attended the worship service uh, through YouTube and other TV channels. And uh, we asked people to send their pictures doing uh, participating in worship service at their home. Uh, so many families got together. You know, usually on Sunday, you know, adults, parents come to the adult service and kids go to kids service. But this made actually the pandemic made uh, families actually, you know, participate come to the worship service together. So it was very nice to see all the families doing worship service together. And we saw the pictures, their homes. And, and, and some people, actually some companies uh, prohibited their, uh, their employees to go to church uh, because you know, they were worried that people get virus from the church and it will spread again in the, in the companies. 
So a lot of people could not come to church because of their company's uh, suggestion and, and their, uh, their policies. But uh, overall, people adapted pretty well. And, 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 and uh, we saw increasing number of people coming to uh, YouTube service and a virtual service. Hmm. Now, that's interesting. You saw an increasing number of people coming. Some pastors here are seeing the same thing. They're seeing their churches even growing during this time. And of course, we're still virtual. We're still not going to church every every Sunday. You know, me and Joy and the two boys watch our service, which is virtual, uh, the d- district church here. And uh, and so, Pastor, wondering, are people going to come back? What what this will mean long term? So you've been virtual, and now you're slowly coming back. So what are you learning? Did this some did it make you closer or? or make you feel further away, or did it bring you closer, and now new people may be coming? What's your experience there? Moving services online was not easy decision for us, uh, because in, in Korea, I think this, there's a theological pressure upon us. Uh, for example, the Korean Christians are known for you know, keeping the Sabbath, so-called Sabbath. That, that we, went, we went through a Japanese occupation, for uh, almost four decades. And during those times, a lot of Christians were persecuted and they were forced not to go to church on Sunday. But uh, literally our ancestors, our Christian ancestors, they risked their lives to go to uh, service on Sunday. So keeping the Sabbath, kind of that theme is very core to our Christian values here in Korea. So when we say that we're going to move the services online, people criticize for because we we were one of the first mega churches to move services online, and and we were forced to do that because we had one positive case among our pastors, and later we uh, we we all agreed that it was a very good decision that we moved early in the stage, uh, in the phases, and and now people. I had to understand that moving services online required more courage in a sense, in a way, uh, because, you know, in the past, keeping the Sabbath required courage for all of us because Christianity is always minority here in Korea. And a lot of companies have uh, this habit of, you know, working on Sundays and uh, people really had to stand up to come to service on Sunday but you know Christians are not that minority here in Korea nowadays yet now we have to move services online and it required because it challenged our theology it changed our history so people had bigger courage and more courage to to actually feel uh, you know feel not guilty about participating on service at home at their homes so that was very interesting part i think now you you mentioned history and i know you as a very reflective person uh knowing a lot about church history and looking at those things in the u.s um this virus this coronavirus has has revealed or amplified injustices and inequities that existed here long before this pandemic. Um, how, while while this this disease attacks everyone, those uh, racism and poverty 
really uh, shaped the distribution of the disease tremendously. And so you've got African-Americans get the disease three times what uh, white people do and six times the the death. So three to one, six to one, it's stunning number for us. So we're learning a lot about ourselves, about our systems, about things that have been accepted and tolerated for far too long. The pandemic didn't increase them, but it revealed them or laid them bare. Um, And then there's also the history question, church history, how Christians have responded to plagues over the years. So what are you learning about South Korea uh, in this pandemic and about the world? You watch our news carefully. You pay attention to what we're doing here. What are you learning about both South Korea and the world as you see it from this pandemic? Um, For so many years, I think America has been Korea's role model in a way. Uh, in terms of democracy, uh, Korea went through uh, so many decades of dictatorship, and we really looked up the U.S. for its its role in leading the democracy in the world. And uh, for a lot of Christians, evangelical Christians here in Korea, consider America as a Christian nation, which is not actually. Uh, and, 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 uh, we often see that America is like almost perfect Christian nation. And, uh, sadly, this pandemic shows that uh, America is not a really perfect country nor Christian country. Um, we are so saddened by the ratio that you just mentioned, uh, that, that a lot of African Americans are dying a more you know greater number than the white Americans and other affluent Americans, and uh, you know I, I just seeing this with the economic lens, I think it really shows different kind of pictures. It's not just number of people who are dying in the U.S. That's important. It's the number of the poor who's dying in the U.S. That's really important for us nowadays, for us at least. And uh, one thing I really uh, am critical of America is its health system. I studied the U.S. for almost 10 years, so I know what's it like, what's it like not having an insurance in your hands. Uh, you know, although I did not have any, uh, any, I mean, any problem when I was living in the U.S. for 10 years, I didn't really need to go to hospital, so I was not worried about not having insurance. But a lot of my friends who did not have insurance really hesitated to go to hospital. And uh, I think the, uh, the, the healthy health insurance issue in the U.S. is really hurting a lot of poor people. And, and uh, this pandemic is some test that really that shows how, how, how bad uh, the, America is do- the U.S. is doing in terms of health insurance. Uh, as for Korea... We were so lucky to have public health system, which is mandatory, and uh, almost 20 years ago impl- uh, implemented. And uh, it's been doing so well that, that we are not so concerned about not being able to go to hospital or not finding doctors or not having enough money for treatment. Uh, so, you know, this is really good opportunity. I mean, like you said in... Christ in crisis in your book that that uh, crisis in Chinese letter means two things one is danger 
and what is opportunity. And I can say the same thing. If we, if we can learn from this, is that U.S. really needs to change something. And, and, and to begin with, I think the health system that can help the poor and, and the, those who are marginalized will greatly increase uh, the life quality of the poor people in the U.S. Some people are talking about uh, how the outbreaks of plague in Rome uh, in the church's infancy uh, and the church's response to it, to those who were in- infected, was a real uh, part of the church's early growth. Uh, the the em- empathy and the response. Uh, reflect on that, which you know about that, and also just how we respond to plague, uh, how people of faith respond, this is a plague how we've responded in the past and how we should respond going forward, how this pandemic and our response as the body of Christ in the world could, could impact that and really even draw people back to this healing Jesus who wants to change our lives and change our systems and change our world. You know, in, in early churches, early church history, and, and even in medieval church history and Reformation history, I think the true churches, uh, the true Christians, were always on the front line to help the sick and those who were hurt by the pandemic and the spread of diseases. Uh, for example, like you said, the first churches and 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 when when it was hit with the uh, huge outbreak in Rome, that they they helped really the sick people. But not only that. Uh, for example, John Calvin, uh, who you know, who has different kinds of fans, but uh, you know, John Calvin, when he was doing in, doing Reformation Geneva, he actually uh, had his uh, health system running in the city, and one of the first things that he really emphasized, emphasized was building a a hospital for the poor and the sick. So I think. Uh, and, and in Korean history too, whenever there is some social uh, uh, upheaval like this, that churches were the one of the first ones to to respond and and be sacrificial and show the true the meaning of become, being a Christian and and also you know like you said it's just it's it's all about just reclaiming Jesus at this moment. And show the authenticity of the Christians and churches. I think it's a very good opportunity for churches to show love for the neighbor and love for the world. And whenever I read the book of John, the Gospel of John, I have some, uh, you know, this dilemma because you know God loved the world so much He sent His only Son, and yet when Jesus talks about the world, He you know, he says to reject the world and push the world away. So there are two kinds of wars that we are facing. One is that we have to love. One, one, one is that the church, the world that we have to love. And the other world is that something that we have to uh, distance ourselves and reject, which is like Babylon, I think. Uh, so for us to love the world is really God's call for us. And, and uh, we can show that we love the world and we love our neighbors by uh, using this kind of opportunity. I think it's very critical for all the churches and, and Christians to respond to this pandemic. So you mentioned the scripture in John, 
And you're the kind of person that would always be trying to figure out from the scriptures what the moment means and how to respond to it. So what kind of, what, what scriptures, what, what reflection, what has this pandemic sort of sparked in you in terms of your theological, biblical reflection that gives us a sense of direction for the future now? Um, I've been recently reading uh, two books, uh, Daniel and Esther. And these, are, these books deal with the time of uh, exile, as you know. And these book, these two, but and yet these two books are very different because Daniel, if you read Daniel, it it just talks about God's interaction and God's involvement with the Daniel, you know, consistently. So you read every, I mean, when God, when Daniel goes into lion's den, there's God, you know, there's always God, God, God. But if you read Esther. There's no mention of God at all. Uh, Esther does not say anything about God, or the narrator itself does not talk about God. So these are two very different books. And sometimes I think as a person, we go through these two different kind of phases in our lives. Sometimes you don't hear, you don't feel like God's near you. (laughs) Sometimes you don't hear God. Uh, But at the same time, sometimes you just, hear so vividly from God and so and 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 also God shows his power his majesty to you uh, through different means uh, but these two books but at the same time talk about the same thing uh, which is that God's still here God's the God's God's the God <laughs> and he's controlling the history he's controlling everything it's his sovereignty so in this time as I read these books, I think about how people in the world experience different kinds of gods, but uh, we have to believe that God's controlling. God's still in control. God still has a gov- sovereignty. And speaking of exile, and I was reading this book uh, entitled uh, The Church in Exile, uh, which was written by uh, Canadian theologian history in Lee Beach. And this book talks about when Israel went into exile, it became true Israel. You know, we oftentimes believe that, you know, exile is just punishment of God. But actually, in during the exile, Israel turned into uh, authentic Israel that God really asked them to do. They restored the Sabbath. They restored a lot of faith, and they recovered a lot of things that they lost. Uh, and then these, uh, of course, this period of exile has to do with uh, Daniel and Esther. So, I, on reflection on this, I think myself and my church and the churches in Korea and other places, this crisis is not just. I'm, I don't consider it a punishment, first of all, but uh, whatever this is. This crisis actually can make churches and Christians more true, uh, more authentic. That we can turn it, turn ourselves into true Israel during this difficult time. Whether you see God or not, God is still, you know, 
He has sovereignty. He has power. So if we believe in God, this is some time that we can use as 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 converting ourselves into true uh, true Christians, like by by reclaiming Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and 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 so I take this opportunity to recover ourselves. So recover is not going back to what used to be. It's not about you know doing the same services that you used to do, having 100,000 people again at the same church. Uh, I think for us to, to recover is to become a better of us, a better church. And better does not mean just better, but it's like different church. Uh, so we're not trying to go back to the past again. Like uh, let's have 100,000 people again at our church you know, by next year. That's not our purpose. Uh, our purpose and our uh, our aim at this point is to move forward and become better church and become better Christians and become better believers. So God being in control doesn't mean that God brought this pandemic to punish us or something you're saying, but to believe this this crisis could bring is an opportunity to bring us back to God. And, and back to the Jesus who we claim in terms of what that kingdom really is all about. It's not, we're not being punished by God for this, but in the middle of this, we, we could find our way back to God. So you look at the church in Korea, but you have been around the world and your church has ministries around the world. And so you follow closely what you're seeing in other places. And one of the reasons that you've been so so strongly supportive of this gathering we're still planning on, on doing of young leaders around the world like you in the global south, in particular in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where the locus of the church now is no longer in Europe and the U.S. and so on. So how, as you reflect as a young pastor and theologian, really, because that's what you also are, uh, how do you reflect on how the body of Christ globally could affirm itself as that global body of Christ? And what could this pandemic do to bring us together and move us forward? What could we learn from this? As we were dealing with this uh, pandemic in Korea, one thing I realized was that uh, uh, the Christians and churches really do not have one voice. <laughs> uh, every church is doing uh, their own thing independently. And uh, I wish that more churches got together to talk about this pandemic and how we could, you know, react to this pandemic and how we can be have have a like collective wisdom all together as we pray and as we fast together but it did not really happen so one thing i really miss was that uh in a collective effort to deal with this pandemic in korea what i wish that happened uh worldwide in a global scale is to bring not only church leaders but like you said young church people because i think it will change the church is seen and Christian scenes in the world, it will bring more younger people to leadership after this pandemic. I'm pretty sure that will definitely bring a lot of young people to leadership. 
because of it changes, you know, uh, on-site service to online service and because of all these di- different platforms. Uh, what I wish that happened was that, uh, is that maybe we can have more conversation together. And this is good opportunity because we don't have to, we can't get together anyways, physically. We have to use Zoom or other, other uh, platforms to get together and to work together to deal with this issue and, and hearing from each other and what they're going through and what they learn from it. I know that you know, I'm not really in position to teach or give lessons, but you are listening to me. And that means a lot to me and a lot of other people as well. And it can happen to the same thing. Uh, to, it can happen to the, a lot of other people as well, I think. Uh, if, can, if they can voice, uh, bring their voices into a, a gathering and when um, leaders like you listen to younger people and, and what they're going through and in, in, in the global south and other places, it will not only um, give them opportunity, but it will encourage them and, 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 and empower them and strengthen them. And uh, in the end, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we'll have a better ways to deal with this pandemic because, you know, there are more, uh, more voices and more diverse ideas uh, available at that platform. So this uh, global gathering that you're uh, helping to lead with us and others around the world uh, is going to go virtual uh, in, in in June, and we will hopefully come together face to face physically maybe the following year. But so when we're you know we're going to be together online uh, sometime in June, uh, trying to meet each other and listen to each other, particularly younger leaders like you around around the world. So 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 let's imagine that. Let's imagine we're online in June. And uh, and all these young leaders from from South America, from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, from the Middle East, from from Asia, are there. Um, and the pandemic is now; it's mid June. And what is it that you uh, you know? We're going to go around the circle and say, "What are you learning from this? What are you, as a young leader, what are you seeing for the future? How th- could this change and affect our few future?" So, Hannah Kim, we come come to you. What what do you think this is teaching us, and what 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 do you have to say to the rest of us about about that future now? To your fellow young leaders. Okay. Um. To begin with, I have to say that I'm very embarrassed to be called young <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> when I was writing my dissertation, I was younger, but uh, I'm almost like. 50 now, so I'm not 50, but I'm, I'm, re- I'm like reaching 50 soon, so <laughs> not that young. But uh, at least here in Korea, I'm still considered young because uh, in, in Asian culture, I think uh, being a pastor of a church, uh, when you're less than 50, you're considered young. So I'm happy to be uh, referred as young. <laughs> <laughs> but if I would say something uh, about this pandemic and, and our opportunity in the midst of this sadness and what's happening to, if I would address this to, to younger generation and leaders, uh, I would repeat the same thing that we have to become true. Uh, we have to, uh, using your word, uh, uh, reclaim Jesus, uh, in this crisis 
uh, that's the only way way we can. I mean, like I consider myself. I'm I'm not really good believer, but I'm trying to be true believer. Uh, and if you're a true believer, you must embrace not only teachings of Jesus Christ, but also the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, his character, his uh, you know, using. Um, Jonathan Edwards' words, uh, disposition, uh, his hearts, his love, and his uh, his uh, willingness to be close to the neighbors and, and the sick and the marginalized, the poor. And this kind of, the life that Jesus showed us really makes us uh, uh, to reclaim not only the words of Jesus Christ, but the life of Jesus Christ. That's, I think, really what's necessary in all the, not only the global south, but all the parts of the world. Uh, Jefferson uh, edited the Bible. Uh, it's, it, as it, you probably know this, it's called Jefferson Bible. He uh, only left the words that he liked that Jesus said, and he cut out all the parts of Jesus' miracles and other you know things that he did and 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 sometimes that's the bible we hold in our hands that that we don't have the complete picture of jesus christ but only the things that we only like the conservative evangelicals like few words of jesus christ and few words in the bible they hold on to those verses only and some extreme progressive uh christians only hold on to the you know, moral teachings of Jesus Christ. But uh, I, I believe that to become a true Christian and to overcome all this crisis and, and pandemic, not only pandemic, but what's, we never know what's going to happen in the future. So we, in order to overcome all these challenges in the future, we have to be true churches and true Christians by reclaiming the wholeness of Jesus Christ. Well, that is a vision for the church that warms my heart um, and maybe something even like this pandemic could somehow be used to bring us closer to those words and to that life of Jesus. So thank you, my brother, again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. To hear more from Hana Kim, follow him on Twitter at Hana Today, Hana, H-A-N-A, Today, for news, resources, and reflections about our current public health crisis, visit sojo.net slash coronavirus. If you enjoy this podcast, please share this episode with your friends and family and even your enemies as Jesus calls us to love them too. And what better way to love someone than to share a conversation just like this? We're available on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever you listen to for your podcast. After you listen, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review And follow me on Twitter if you'd like at Jim Wallace. This is Jim Wallace for the Soul of the Nation. God bless you.